Well, years, years ago, as the story goes, there was a bank in San Diego that hired a private investigator to hunt down a bank robber and retrieve the bank's stolen money. So the investigator was led all the way down into Mexico, and upon crossing the border of Mexico, uh, he hired the first Spanish translator he, he could find. And so uh, after many days of searching for this bank robber, he, he finally apprehended the bandit and uh, through the interpreter asked him, what did you do with the money? And uh, the bandit said, I, what money? What, what are you talking about? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And so with that, the investigator immediately drew his pistol and aimed it right at the bandit and then told the interpreter to tell him, if you don't tell me where you hid the money, I'm going to shoot you right where you stand. Go ahead and tell him. And so the interpreter told him, and uh, immediately the, uh, the bandit confessed. He said he had taken the money, uh, he put it in a bag, and he hid it in the second floor men's restroom of the Palacio Hotel in Mexico City. And so the investigator was real curious about what the man said, so he said, well, tell me what he said. And uh, the interpreter looked back at him and said, Senor, he's ready to die like a man. (laughs) Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. So uh, we're in the final week of a series that uh, we're calling Follow the Money. And we have been talking about just this, really this uh, straight line that you can draw right from your heart to to your money. And, and, And that there's this connection between money and our maturity and our cash really in our connection with God and one of the reasons why Jesus talks so much about money in his teaching is because he understands that money reveals our hearts it says something about us it demonstrates something uh, to us and so and so that's why we are taking some time in these weeks to to kind of talk about biblical stewardship now people will often ask me why do we have to talk about money in the church uh, why do we have to preach and teach about it? And really the answer is because there's no easy coexistence between God and money. Now there is coexistence, but there's no easy coexistence. And so we all walked in today, we've got money in our bank accounts and we've probably got a Bible in our hand, right? But if we were to be honest, we all have to admit that we've all struggled with this at some point. And... Um, and so the truth is this, is that we have the world pulling at us. We have this, our own sinful nature working against us. And then we have the enemy of our souls constantly tempting us away from really getting money right. And so that's just the reality of life. And that's part of why we have to talk about it. And so knowing that m- managing money is not easy, um, we are offering a class. We're offering uh, an, uh, Financial Peace University. It's going to begin uh, in the next couple of weeks, and it's going to meet on Wednesday nights. And this is this is really the the curriculum taught by uh, Dave Ramsey. It's just basic biblical principles of stewardship. And so we've been preaching and teaching on stewardship, but we haven't really been getting practical with you. And I know many of you kind of, as you struggle with this, you're like, I really need some practical help in doing this on a daily basis. And that's what this class does. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to consider that. If this, is, if this is something that you've struggled with, if you find yourself just continually worrying and having, having anxiety about this or you're struggling with, with debt or whatever, uh, we've had 
we've had people pay off thousands and thousands of dollars in debt just as a result of taking FPU. So you can go online at stonescrossing.com forward slash discipleship and register for that class. So I just want to encourage you to do that. So um, now last week I, I shared with you two principles. And one of them really is the principle of ownership that God owns everything. And this is one of the things that we typically forget is that God owns all things. He's the creator and we are the created. And so he's the owner of everything. And so, and so the principle of ownership just recognizes God's place of authority in the universe, that all things really, really belong to him. And then there's the principle of stewardship. And the principle of stewardship says that God has entrusted us with all that he's owned and we are to be managers, we are to be stewards. And so, and so the, way the, Bible, the way the Bible communicates it is that God is the landowner and we are his managers. That God is the king and we are his royal subjects. Uh, that God is our father and we are his sons and daughters. And, uh, and so that's, that's a huge part of ownership and stewardship. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to look specifically at what Jesus says about stewardship today. And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 because I want you to, I want you to see what Jesus says in this passage because I think it's, it's very relevant to this whole question of stewardship this morning. And so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you stand together out of reverence for the word of God this morning. So Jesus says this, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth, rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. So here's what I really see in this passage. I, I, I really see Jesus challenging us to make three choices when it comes to our money. And what he says in this passage very simply is, I want you to choose, first of all, the right storehouse. And then secondly, I want you to choose the right stance. And then third, I want you to choose the right sovereign. So we're going to look at storehouse, stance, and sovereign as choices that we need to be making today. So let's just jump right in and look at the right storehouse. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So you notice the contrast there between treasure on earth and treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. So, so really what Jesus is talking about here is when it comes to stewardship, you and I need to choose the right storehouse. That's, that's what he's saying. That's the point of the passage. Choose the right storehouse. So is your storehouse going to be heaven or is it going to be earth? That's really the question. And he is teaching us and calling us 
to make a commitment to choosing the right storehouse, the heavenly storehouse. Now, I don't want to give you the the false impression that money is inherently evil. I think sometimes as pastors and preachers, we can, you know, maybe kind of slip into that where we're overemphasizing it. And so the, the thought is we start thinking money is evil and it's not inherently evil. Some people mistakenly think that uh, money is the root of all evil. And that's not true. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. So what Jesus is commanding us to do is he's actually commanding us to store up treasure. He is telling us store up treasure. And so he's not saying that it's wrong to be concerned about your financial situation. You should be concerned about that. It is worthy of your attention as a steward. Uh, he's not saying that you shouldn't even desire wealth. You, you, certainly, you, sure, you certainly should desire wealth. Um, he is saying to us that we need to, we need to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. So, so the issue really isn't money. The issue is the storehouse. The issue is where does, where does money go? And so Jesus wants us to lay up treasure in heaven and, and he's not saying lay it up on earth and in heaven. He's saying lay it up in heaven, period. Now let me, give you, let me give you three reasons for this, why you and I should be laying up treasure in heaven. First of all, there's the issue of safety. There's the whole issue of safety, and he highlights it here because he says if you lay up treasure on earth, moth will come and, and rust will destroy and thieves will break in and steal. It's an absolute certainty. In other words, in other words if, if you focus your life laying up treasure on earth, you're eventually going to lose it. It's going to be corrupted. It's going to decay. It's eventually going to be stolen. But he says treasure in heaven, no, that's not the case. For treasure in heaven is safe and secure. There's no, there no, there's no corruption in heaven. There are no thieves that are going to break in and steal. So that's the first thing. Safety is why we should be investing in treasure in heaven. But then there's the second reason, and the second reason is the yield. The yield is totally different for treasure in heaven. Now, you know, if you invest in earthly treasure, you know, in a good season, you may have a 10% return, you know, 15% return. If you own stock in GameStop this week, man, you are really, really doing great. That's complete mess that is so uh but you know at the most maybe you know 10 to 15 percent um in a really really good season but Jesus talks about in other passages in scripture that your return for heavenly treasure is 30 60 hundred fold that is 3,000 6,000 10,000 percent you're not going to get that anywhere else that is absolutely unreal so I think there's that safety issue, and then there's the yield issue. And then lastly, there is the wellness issue that Jesus talks about. And you see this, you see him say this in verse 21, because he says, for where, you, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. And so what Jesus is talking about is that when we, when we invest our treasure in, in heaven, we're investing in, in heavenly treasures, what he's talking about is he's reminding us that our heart and our treasure are going to interact. That there is this connection. You, again, you can follow the money. There's a connection between our heart and our money. And what he's talking about is he's advocating for us to use money in such a way to influence our heart towards heaven. That's what he's talking about. 
because he knows there's this interplay between the two. And so wherever your heart is, that's where your money's going to go. Wherever your money goes, your heart's going to follow. It's, it's, just the same, it's just the same kind of principle. So, so if you have your heart set on buying a new car or you're building a new house, you know, or new, you're going to get a new outfit or a new computer, what are you always thinking about? You're always thinking about that new car, that new house, that new outfit, or that new computer. And then eventually you pull the trigger and then that's where your money goes. And so... And so there's the reciprocal reaction too. So once your money goes there, your heart is there. And so then you're really concerned about at least for a season of time, taking care of that car, taking care of that house, you know, and, 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 and wearing that outfit uh, like it's brand new. But what Jesus wants us to see is he wants us, our hearts going towards heaven. That's what he wants. And uh, what he says is to use, use wealth to facilitate that. And he, he says it by saying, don't lay up for yourselves. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, you could translate this, just stop. Just stop doing it. Just stop chasing what the world tells us uh, to chase because it's, it's a constant chase. It's a constant rat race. Now, you guys know that marketing executives and, uh, you know, people that run advertising and the like, they know us pretty well. And they know that the entire American economy is built on making all of us discontent. And if they can make us discontent, they can keep us spending money. And so what they tell you is, oh, this iPhone is the greatest iPhone since sliced bread. And and you need to get it. So you've got the iPhone 1 and you need to get the iPhone 2. And then once they, once they get, you know, the iPhone 2 sold, what do they do? They make the iPhone 3. And they've been doing it for about 14 years. And what's fascinating to me is there's no real difference between the iPhone 12 and the iPhone 1. You guys track it with me? The only difference is, is they have convinced us that we've needed to upgrade every single time. And there's really no there's really no difference. And so what they do is they make us discontent. And they promise that if you will just buy this, your life will be so much easier and so what Jesus is saying is this he's just saying look don't play that game understand what they're doing and and uh and let your focus be on you know and investing in eternity treasure and heaven and so so as I was kind of thinking about this you know one way to do this one way to you know to really choose the right storehouse is to is to really give to your church family uh, that's, that's really the best way to do it, to, to give to God. As I talked about last week, where, we, and where our giving really facilitates worship uh, for our families and for the people in our community. And that is, that is a great way uh, to do that. And so, um, so let, me, let me just talk about this for a minute. You know, as a pastor, and I've shared this with you all before, I don't look at who gives and who doesn't give. So I just choose not to look at it because I just... I don't want that to influence how you see me or whatever. And so, so it's just a lot easier if I, if I just don't look at it. And that you know I don't, I don't really look at it. But I've pastored long enough to know that most people, most people don't give or they give very little. Most people don't give or they give very little. I do know that. Now, What's fascinating about that is all of us are in the top 5 to 
of people, richest people in the history of the world. And uh, that's the truth. And so it doesn't make sense to me uh, that, people, that people don't give to, to make worship happen and to facilitate that. And so, so I just want to challenge you, if that's where you are, I, wanna, I just want to ask you, you know, st- if you've never given regularly to the church, just start with a goal. Just start with, you know, we're going to give 3%. And we're going to just give 3% for the remainder of the year. And at the end of the year, we'll, you know, beginning of next year, we'll bump it up to 4%. And at the end of that year, we'll bump it up to 5%. I tell this, I tell this to people all the time because people come to me, you know, and they ask, how do I do this? I've never done this before. And I say, just, just start. And if you don't see the blessing of God in your life, then you can quit. Because God has promised you're not going to outgive him. He's going to bless you He's going to bless you in return. And I guarantee you will see the difference because you will have more of God in your life because he is not, he's not going to let you outgive him. Does that make sense? So the reason why I want this for you is not because the church needs your money or because God needs your money, but because Jesus says you need to be storing up treasure in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? And that's the truth. So, so that is the right storehouse. But let's look at the right stance. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I mean about this. Notice what he says in verses 22 and 23. So he says this. This is the section where he's talking about your eye. And it's kind of confusing. So let me just kind of walk through this. So he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So, so this can be kind of confusing because he's talking about light being in you that's dark. So, so what, what is he really talking about? And what am I talking about when I say the right stance when it comes, when it comes to, to God and money? Uh, I think the right stance, what I mean by that specifically is this, that you have the right viewpoint, that you see it the way God sees it, that you have the right perspective when it comes when it comes to God and money. Because, because what Jesus knows is this, that our lives will go in the direction that our eyes are focused on. All right? So another way I could say it is, my body is going to go the direction that my eyes are focused on. So, so when I, you know, a few years ago, I used to have a membership at LA Fitness, and I, w- I would go in there on days like today and get on the treadmill and you know, and try to do some exercise and that kind of thing. And it's just interesting, you know, because they have all these treadmills lined up in there and they've got monitors up on the wall to distract you from the pain that your body is in when you're doing the treadmill. And what's fascinating is it just never seems like there is a monitor centered right over a treadmill. It's always like, you know, you're on the treadmill and you're looking at the monitor on your left. And after, you, after I start doing that after a while, you know what I start doing? I start going left. And, or if I'm looking to the right, I start going to the right. And, um, and then before you know it, I crash and burn and fall down and run out of there in shame and hum- humiliation as everybody's laughing at me. Because, because there's just this principle about wherever my eye is looking, I'm kind of drawn to that. And I think that's kind of what Jesus is talking about, that Scripture tells us the same things happen with our spiritual focus. That if we begin to get caught up and focused in money, what happens invariably is we drift away from God. And it becomes our God. And so Paul understood this. Look at 1 Timothy 6.10. He says, for the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving. Notice the craving. It is the, the craving is, is what causes some to wander away from the faith. And then notice this. <clears throat> and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. Why? Because they're craving money. And uh, I don't think anybody here wants to be pierced with many pangs. And so this is, this is a warning that he gives us. And so really the stance that we take towards God and money is determined by our vision. By what, by what we're, you know, how we're looking. And I think when he talks about good eyes in this passage, Jesus is talking about a singular eye towards Christ and his kingdom. It's an eye that's focused, laser focused on Christ and living for his kingdom. The evil eye is the wandering eye. From Christ to the world, from wor- the world to Christ. You know, it's, it's, this, it's this selfish, greedy eye. And, and somebody that's selfish and greedy can convince themselves that they're right. That they've got some inside knowledge. And what Jesus is saying is they think that they are enlightened and this light in them is really darkness. That's what they think. That is the deceitfulness of riches is what that is. Now, what Jesus is saying is this. You need the right stance. You need the right viewpoint towards money. You need to choose, you need to choose singular eyes, a singular focus, uh, the right perspective towards money. You know, Matthew Henry is the great Bible commentator, uh, and uh, he, he says this, he says, quote, it, it really ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our last day. It really, be, it really ought to be our business every day to prepare for our last day. And what that means, it means seeing your life through the lens of eternity, through, through spiritual eyes. And so it's really thinking about the fact that you're going to live forever and keeping that in mind. You know, if you went to, if you went to a financial planner for, for just advice on how to invest, they're going to tell you, you need to think long term. You need to take your dollar and you need to think long term with it. You need to think 20, 30, 40 years. You need to sock it away in some kind of investment account and you don't need to think about it again. You just need to let it work for you. Let it compound that interest over 20, 30, 40 years and it, you will reap a huge yield. And they're, and they're true. That's true. That's, that's generally kind of what happens. Now, can you imagine investing in, in the kingdom of God? Let's say Let's say that there was a corporation called Jesus Christ, Inc., okay? And, uh, and let's say that you invested $1 on the day that that company went public, which would be Christmas AD zero. You guys tracking with me? So you've invested in this $1, and you've, you've, you really put this money into the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And let's say that you get a modest return of 6% interest on this, compounded annually, uh, for, for about 2,000 years, all right? So let's, let's say that. Do you know how much that dollar would be worth? Uh, it would be worth $720 quadrillion. That's how much it would be. And so, so just think about that. Now, what I would submit to you is I don't think most financial planners are having us to think long-term enough. 
They're having us think 20 to 30 to 40 years, but I think what Jesus is saying in this passage is we need to be thinking a lot longer than 20 to 30 to 40 years. We need to be thinking about 3,000 years and 6,000 years. We need to be thinking about a million years into the future because what Jesus is saying is a kingdom investment is going to continue to reap reward after reward. And practically what that means, it means it means you and me acting like and living like and giving like people are going to live forever because you know what? They do. And so that's the right perspective. It's an eternal perspective on using wealth and investing in the kingdom of God. So that is the right stance. That's the right storehouse. But then lastly, there is the right sovereign that he calls us to. Now, this to me is the heart of the matter. This is follow the money right to the heart of the issue. And let's look at what he says. Look at, with, look at verse 24 because he cuts right to the heart. No one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so, so really what Jesus is saying is this, you can't have two masters. You can't have dual lordship. Now you can have dual citizenship, but you can't have dual lordship. Could you imagine if the Supreme Court ruled that because of some voting irregularities last November, that, um, you know, President Trump, won. He won the election. And could you imagine uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling, well, we've already, you know, inaugurated President Biden in. So the Supreme Court rules that both of them are going to be president at the same time. They're going to be co-presidents. Can you imagine that? Do you know what the Greek word for that is? I think you can imagine. That's called chaos. Would anybody, anybody want that here? Absolutely not. You know why? Because that would be an absolute mess. And that's Jesus' point altogether. Your heart only has room for one. And Jesus says, let it be God. Let it be God. Because that's the only investment that is worth your life. You see, your loyalty, your security, your identity, your purpose, your reliance, your, your, your joy, it can't be split. It's only going to go to one. In other words, money is a, is a rival. It is a competitor to the work of God in your life. So you have to make a choice. You've got to make a choice at the end of the day. So, so let's, let's talk about the choice. So let's just say, just for kicks, that you choose money and worldly possessions as your sovereign, okay? So sovereign just means your ultimate authority. So let's just say that that's your choice. You, you, choose, you choose money and sovereign. Do you know what happens if you make that choice? You're going to live in constant fear and worry. Because what, what do we all know? We know intuitively that if we lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, moth and rust are going to destroy 
and thieves are going to break in and steal. So, so really, in essence, what Jesus is implying here is choosing, choosing money and worldly stuff as your sovereign is the choice of a life of insecurity and fear and anxiety. Because you know underneath, you're probably going to lose it. So what do you have to do? You've got to worry and fret and figure it out all the time to keep from losing it. And that's, I think, exactly what Jesus is saying here. That if you treasure earthly things, if you treasure, you and I treasure money and stuff, we're always going to be worried. We're always going to be insecure. We're always going to be, you know, fragile because we know the moths are coming. And we know that the thieves are coming. And so, and so really, that's a life, it's a life choice of insecurity. So there's the late author, David Foster Wallace uh, was giving a commencement address. And uh, this is what he says. Listen, listen to how he describes this. He says, if you worship money and things, if they are where you find your meaning in life, you will never have enough. You will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and chase after sexual allurement and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect. Worship being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, like a fraud who's on the verge of being found out. Is that the kind of life you want to live? In other words, what he's saying is this. If, if you worship being smart, you're going to always live in fear of being stupid. If you worship looking good, you're always going to have this underlying fear and insecurity. I'm ugly. And if you worship treasure, if, if, if you treasure money and wealth, then you're never going to feel like you have enough. And so what this means is this. You end up bitter. You end up, you end up angry. You end up discontent. You end up anxious, fearful and insecure and the whole reason why is you've trusted the wrong sovereign now let's say that you choose God as your sovereign let's say that you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven what does Jesus say about that what he says is this he says your treasure is safe your treasure is totally secure because what he's saying is there are no moths in heaven. There's no rust in heaven. And there's certainly no thieves in heaven. In other words, see, if you, choose, if you choose God as your sovereign, if you choose to anchor your security and your identity and your self-worth and your hope and your joy in God as sovereign, then it's not connected to your circumstances at all. Moths can't touch it. Rust isn't going to do anything to it. Thieves can't steal it. And guess what? The government can't mess with it at all. Now, what does it look like to choose God as your sovereign, as your ultimate authority? Well, it's, it means that you see him as he is. Look at Colossians 2.3. So this is Paul, he's just writing, he says that their hearts may be encouraged. He's talking about, you know, people that he's pastoring. He says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, 
to, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, get this, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know what he's saying there? Jesus is the great treasure. He's the one you need to anchor to because he's the great treasure. You see, it's his love that provides a status that you can never lose. It's his love that provides a wealth that will never be devalued. You anchor in Jesus as the treasure and your life is safe. No one's touching you because you are the king's kid. That is really the truth. Now, where is the great treasure? If Jesus is the the treasure, where is that treasure? Well, it's in heaven. Notice Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It's one of my favorite passages. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. This is what he's saying. He's saying, set your hearts and minds on Jesus, the great treasure. Because he's, he's, he's the only thing worth anchoring to. He's the only thing that can, that can provide that stability and security in your life and in your mind. He's the ultimate treasure. And so then the question becomes, well, how do you treasure him? And I think, and I think a lot of us kind of think, well, I prayed a prayer and I believe in Jesus. But believing in Jesus is not the same thing as treasuring him. There are plenty of people who believe in Jesus, but they're still treasuring the things of the earth. You guys following what I'm saying? So it's not enough just to believe. The demons believe in Jesus. I think think what Jesus is telling us is he's telling us, look, you can't serve two masters in verse 24. You'll either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. The other, you can't serve both God and money. What he's talking about is this, that choosing Jesus as your sovereign just simply means more than just believing. It's loving him. It's being delighted in him. It's being dazzled by him. It's living in awe of him every day. That's what it means. That's the key to choosing God as your sovereign. Now, Maybe you're there and you're, you know, you're feeling God just speaking to your heart and you just feel just some conviction about this. And you're like, well, how do I get to that place, God? I mean, I believe in Jesus, but I just confess, I, I've, not, I've not been delighting in him. I, I haven't been loving him. And, uh, and so I think that's a really good, honest question. I really do. And so um, here's the thing I, I want to try to answer that with is this. I just want you to think about why God came to the earth in the first place, why Jesus came to the earth uh, in the first place. I mean, he, he, Philippians 2 tells us that he emptied himself of all honor and beauty and status and riches and power. Like he laid it down. He gave it up so that he could come incarnate, so that he could come to the earth. Why in the world would he do that? I mean, He must have had a good reason, wouldn't you think? 
I mean, he's going he's gonna to empty himself of all of that and come to the earth and allow himself to be born and live 33 years. He must have had a really good reason. And not only that, but when he was born, he was born into poverty. I mean, he was born in a stable. Can you believe that? And not only that, but when Mary and Joseph took him to the temple for him to be circumcised, they offered up two pigeons, which was the lowest level sacrifice you could give. Because that's all they had. And not only that, but Jesus, you know, lived homeless. And he said, birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Why, why would he do that? I mean, it doesn't make sense unless he had a really good reason. And you know what that reason is? Because you are his treasure. That's the reason. He did it because he loved you. He did it for you. He was, gladly, he was glad to lay it down. He was glad to walk away from it. Why? Because walking away from it meant he gets you. And you are his treasure. And Peter bears this out in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are, talking to the people of God, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Get this, a people of his own possession. That word possession could be translated treasured possession. You are his most valuable asset. And so the way that you grow in your delight and love for Jesus is by contemplating his love and delight for you. And realizing what he has done for you. So that's what it means. That is the right sovereign. And I, I don't know where you are with, with your money today. But I just, want, I just want you to have all of Jesus. That's what I want. And, um, and if you have all of him, you have all that you need. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are reminded of the fact that you have demonstrated your love for us. You have demonstrated how much you treasure us in that while we were still sinners, you died for us. And so Lord, we, we just confess that kind of love kind of blows our mind. We just don't understand it, but man, we are so thankful for it. And so, Lord, I pray that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would just reveal your glory to us, that you would reveal your love to us, that you would reveal and open our eyes to see that you're the only true thing of value that we could give our lives to. And so, Lord, don't let us be deceived by, by the glitter of the world and the empty promises of the world, but let us... Let us be men and women. Let us be students who just live in truth, who live in freedom, who are not caught in the rat race of always having to have more and never being satisfied. So God, I ask that you would just afresh and anew do a work in this place, that you would truly be our sovereign and that we would be your subjects serving in joy and in faith. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.